Welcome to the Zero to Five Million Dollar Podcast. I'm Sean Finder, and I'm with my co-host Ollie Whitfield. This show is brought to you by AutoClose, a vanilla soft company. Ollie, why don't you introduce today's guest, or even better yet, not today's guest, but what we will be talking about today? Yeah, this one should be pretty good. We hear a lot these days, especially in our circles and sphere um, and sort of the world that we live in, that product-led growth, or to give it the acronym PLG is the new hot core thing. And um, I've seen many, many, many tweets on uh, on Twitter, obviously. And people are debating, like, does it really just mean a free trial? Is that just what it means? Or is it is there more to it? Is it the big thing? Is it just, you know, another thing that is sellable and a bit of a name to attach yourself to, a bit of a community movement type of thing? So I would like to know what you think. I, I certainly know where I stand on this, but... Product leg growth, big thing, fad, phase, what's the deal? So I, I think this is a great question. And, um, you know, talk about product led growth and, and growing your company via your products. I'm going to tell everyone a little thing that happened to me early on in my career. So uh, when I started Exchange Leads, my company in 2014, we actually, you know, weren't really focused on the features. What we kept saying is we're going to have revenue come and then we're going to build features when we get the revenue. So as we continue to get revenue, we'll continue to build features. So revenue actually led before actually the product growth. And what happened was when we parlayed exchange leads into auto close, I did the exact opposite. I said to myself, we're going to just continue to build a product and grow with our product and let our clients come. And let me tell you, Ollie, I don't know where you stand because I can't wait to hear, but 100% it was the right move. So what we did was instead of having us running out and going to get clients and going to get clients, we just work focused on building the best product and letting the product grow our business, finding out what our clients, what our prospect, what they wanted, what product they wanted, and let's grow the business from there. And Ollie, it is one of the biggest reasons why we were so successful and had that tremendous growth in year one, but I'm putting it over to you right now. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay. So I'm totally with you, but there, there is a caveat I, I do feel. So I'm with it in the sense of build it and they will come. Isn't necessarily true. Like people evaluate what's on paper in front of them. If they're buying a software or a service or whatever it is, they don't say like, Oh, in six months, they're going to have this feature, which may or may not be good. Right. They're looking at what is current and hopefully what's to come, but that's that's a part of the decision, not the bulk. So in that sense, if you've got more and it's good, that's much better. So I'm all for that as a mindset. It's let's build something great and improve it over time. It can get incrementally better and we can get incrementally more customers, 100%. And for the marketing play as well, let's say uh, I'm I'm you in the early days of AutoClose. You flip the switch. It's no longer revenue-led. It's more product-led to bring in revenue. I've got so much to tell you about now if I'm trying to post on my LinkedIn and, you know, become a bit more well-known in, you know, online, that type of thing, my personal brand. If I'm talking every day, every week about, you know, oh, this new feature was just a nightmare, but we researched it to death. We interviewed everybody that we know, you know, talked to 20 customer focus groups. We built it. We changed it. We released it. We had pricing strategy, you know, all of that is great storytelling, great awareness, great um, behind the scenes content instead of just like, hey, did you see my new blog? Which is very, very, very common these days. So for that, I love it. The side where I think it's a little bit overbaked is people have turned it into this huge thing 
as though it's like a type of company or a way of life when it's pretty much a sensible way of doing business. It's sort of like when people say account-based marketing is this huge thing, a big initiative, a massive project. To me, it's like that's just normal, sensible selling, personally. So it's not this massive thing, but it's just a way of doing it. But people made a thing out of it. So, so that, that's where I stand. What do you think? Okay, well, well, a few things. So one, I think one of the biggest mistakes, and we love talking about mistakes on this podcast, one of the biggest mistakes people make in starting their business and going from that zero to five million is they end up building what they want. They build what they want, what their team thinks they want, what they think the market wants. And the reason why I do believe product-led growth is because you should not be building what you want. You need to be building what the community wants. So I personally, I, I agree with what you, what you say, but at the same time is if you're building a feature and you're like, oh, well, this is a feature that you know they need. And, and then you build and you spend all this time in development. And it's like, oh, but we're not getting the sales. People aren't, you know, aren't, don't want it. You have to build the features that your, your, that your clients want. I just think it's a necessity. And, and I, I learned that, as I said, the hard way, because in my first business, I was so out, guys, let's go out and get business. Let's go. This is the product we have, et cetera. Now, number two is people might not want to know what you're building four, six, eight months down the road. But I, tell, I will tell you what they do want. They want to sign up. If there's two companies and one company, and they both have the same product, but company A, you know, is, is continuing to, to grow their client base. And company B is like, okay, we're going to continue to throw new features. You're always going to choose the company that has a roadmap. Even it might be three, six, two. You always want the company that continues to put out new things. Um, I can, you know, an example would be, this is just a crazy example. You go to a restaurant, they only serve hamburgers by itself. Okay. Are you going to keep going just because they serve hamburgers or if now they serve French fries, now they serve pop, now they serve hot dogs, now they serve chili dog, now they serve chicken figure. You know, you're going to want to go to the company that's continued to expand. And that's how all these big companies do it. They continue to expand their product offering. So um, I do agree with you, Ollie, but I will say that I've learned personally the hard way that you need to lead with product. I always say, build the best product and the clients will come, not go get the clients and the product and build the client and the product after that. Okay, so I want to ask you about probably the side of this, which I don't think has really seen the light of day very much. It's It sounds like very idealistic as, as a concept and a way of doing things. And I totally agree with the logic and, and the benefits. One thing to, to negate and manage on the flip side, though, is so obviously there are running costs of every business and a lot of companies, they sort of pummel their, uh, they literally throw everything into growth stuff like hiring salespeople or marketing and stuff like that and then they build and so on from there if you're putting that money beforehand into the development into continuously developing obviously that's a standard cost anyway but if you're not quite as forthright with the with the revenue development and putting your more eggs in that basket you do have to be a bit careful about managing your costs i think and and you're accepting when you do this that you're going to have to eat this a little bit and just get on with it and keep building more and keep selling it better as you go. You won't just build a couple of new features and pull in thousands of people. It's not going to happen, but you won't quite get as, as much of a lift in the short term. That sort of the hockey stick won't happen like that. It will be more of a gradual curve until you've really hit product market fit, I think. 
Where do you stand on that? Because that is, that's the side people aren't really saying about this. It's if you hire more salespeople, you can hope for more revenue. Point blank. That's it. But if you don't do that because everything is going into the product, it's different, isn't it? So that is an amazing, amazing thing to talk about because here's how I stand in it. And I've, I've, I've said this example many times to our company when we were at AutoClose. I can have my developers build the iPad and iPod, all that stuff that Apple builds. But guess what? I will not sell like an Apple does. So I do agree with you. You need to have you know, synchronization between your sales, marketing, and development. I'm just saying the, the product has to continue to expand. However, at the same time, you have to have a competent and good sales and marketing team to continue to grow as well. So you have to let the, the developers build on that product, continue to double down on product, but your sales and marketing need to have the ability to sell. Now, what you also have to do is have good brand awareness because if you have the brand awareness and you continue to build the product, you're going to continue to get better and better results from your sales and marketing team. So I think it is a catch 22. I think you need a little bit of both. You can't be exactly um, only product, 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 because as I said, you're going to spend a lot of money on development and not get that revenue, but you do have to lead with the product and have sales and marketing be selling that product and selling that vision and selling those new upcoming features that you might be having. Okay. So here's a question on that then. So with, I have maybe, maybe this is controversial. I don't know. I think B2C is a bit easier or maybe a bit of a better fit for this than B2B because, right, I'll, I'll go into it. So let's say I want to have a B2C um, little software that I do like a five bucks a month type of thing. What I can do is if I'm not like an unreal salesperson, a natural born seller and that type of thing, though you do have to become more of that as, as a founder, I will probably struggle a bit to get a very good proficient level of selling going on in my product-led growth company. I'm putting all of my money into the development and some into sales and marketing, but my ramp time to get from zero to get to basically a, a productive sales machine is worse. Where on a B2C company, it's more of a science in that acquisition phase. You can put, let's say if your way of doing it is 1000 a month into some ads, and you always generally print out X, cool. That's all right. We can, we can carry on doing that, and hopefully we can tweak and optimize a little bit from there. But that gives you a better idea and a bit more clarity on exactly what you're going to achieve. And then you can work backwards. Where I do think, let's say if I was to build a software company right now, I could probably market the shit out of it. But I fancy myself as an okay salesperson. Not brilliant, though. So I would, I would suffer a bit on that front just because it was B2B. But if it was B2C, I wouldn't have that problem so much. I'd be focusing on tweaking my marketing. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you you bring up a very valid point. I mean, B2C and B2B, very different beasts. However, I think, I think in, in both markets, the one thing that you have to take into consideration is if you don't spend enough time on the product, you're always going to be catching up. And this goes back to the point where we've talked about many times on this podcast, you know, bootstrapping and raising, et cetera. So if you're building a product and your competitors are building a product and you're not focused enough on your product, well, guess what? You're always going to be paying catch up to the bigger guys that might have more money on feature releases. So if you have, you know, the choose AB testing and your competitors, AB testing, but now, for example, they built 
X, Y, and Z last year, and now you're trying to catch up and because you've been so focused on growth and sales of what you currently have, I think you're just going to fall behind your company. So you might have an early spike in that sales, but then slowly that churn going to start going to your competitor because they have more features to offer them. So I think it is a catch 22. I think you have to, you have to manage the, both the product and the sales and make sure that um, the one thing is that they're both aligned with each other. You know, hearing you say that, I, I now think a little bit differently about it. The way that people discuss this concept, it's, it's almost like this new thing where, it, like I was saying about ABM, it, it's not really a new thing. It's just defining it as a thing. It's basically, now I'm seeing it, it's more like how a healthy company should run. You shouldn't really, and this is where like the world of funding and VC and stuff, it, it's really twisted how I think everybody sees this. People think like, um, let's say Zoom gets like 500 million funding, right? Oh, they're worth this stupidly big valuation. That's amazing, right? They're going to hire 150 salespeople. That's amazing. They're going to have a hockey stick revenue growth in Q4. Wow, that's brilliant. That's unhealthy, realistically speaking, for a lot of companies, unless you start going in that route for a very particular reason. Normally, a company without that, you're looking for like slow and steady normal growth not like a you know looking at the graph and it's an up and down all over the place mess you sort of want consistency to make things manageable and that that would mean you're on top of your costs and your development you're shipping good stuff but you're selling it at a decent rate rather than like you know flipping the switch on crap we've, we've released all these features we haven't sold any of them right so we've got to stop and now we've got to sell and then you're behind on development next year you're creating like a bipolar way of running the company it's just not healthy so you've changed my mind a little bit on how i see this yeah and, and i think you bring up a great point i think you know everyone sees all these companies raising hundreds of millions and their revenues are hundreds of millions but that does not necessarily mean that company's healthy i mean if you want to know a healthy company you got to find out the EBITDA of that company so you can have a company that raised 100 million and, they, and they're going to then go to the founder and say, hey, guys, you guys need to spend this much money. You need to hire 800 salespeople this year. That does not mean the company's healthy. There's been tons of companies that went bankrupt that raised hundreds of millions of dollars and they were rushed to spend it. And they're, they're spending their expenses, you know, are more than their, their revenue. And then, you know, they only have a six month runway. So I think you bring up a great point there, Ali, is just just because you're you're either can be product focused or growth focused. You want to end at the end of the day, be healthy. You want to have a healthy balance sheet, a healthy income statement, et cetera. So I think one thing that all of us get, you know, caught up on is seeing all these companies that are getting acquired. They're raising money. Now you don't know why they're doing that. They might be raising money at a low valuation just because they're, they're, they're draining cash or they might raise a hundred million dollars at a huge valuation, but then they're going to have to be forced to just spend, 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 and they might be forced to spend on sales. You don't know. So I think at the end of the day, sometimes the picture does not say everything um, that these companies that you look at um, that are taking some sort of action or some sort of merger acquisition um, aren't always as healthy as uh, the media makes them out to be. Okay. So I have probably one more technical question. So to so get tacky with me here, like, Talk right over my head, okay? So if I'm if I'm the, the founder, I've got this cool idea, right? Aside from building a minimal viable product, which which is just standard, you must do that, otherwise you can't have any hopes of selling it. What's my like first play or first things that I've got to do if I'm actually going to be product-led? 
So a normal company, right, it might be if I need two developers and I need so on and so forth infrastructure to help get that off the ground, then I go. What's the difference between that and truly being product-led? Is it possibly like another developer who's going to be building more or is the difference in how far out my roadmap is or how extensive it is, how well-researched it is? Or, or my allocation of funds, is it a bit more simple? That? What, what would tangibly be the difference and the thing that I should try to look toward instilling into the way I run the company? So there's a, a few different things I'd say. I'd say, first off, you know, are you looking for a back-end developer, a front-end developer, potentially a designer? Um, once you finish your MVP, you know, what I would say is you have a minimal viable product but you want to test that out with say 25, depending on your product, 25, 50, hundred people before you even call yourself a business. Now, what do you want to do is you want to take those first people. And we've talked about this before, Ollie is give them some sort of incentive to give you advice and feedback. So you want your first features to be what those first 50 or hundred people want simply because they'll pay for it. If you, if, if I say, Ollie, I want you to, you know, if you had this, this, and this, that's what I would love. And then you build this, this, and this, guess what? You have my business. So you want to get those first hundred people. And, and you also have to look, if you can solve those first hundred people's problems, there's probably a thousand people, 10,000 people that might have the same problem. Now, another thing that is kind of a little bit off is what I like to do. And what I did with our first, my first two businesses was once we had the MVP, because the MVP, you know, I'm not going to say it was just, it's black and white. It's, you know, it's the minimalist viable product, but what really made a big difference for us. And we even talked about this and this is a whole different episode is the design, the user experience. Like when we changed, you know, I, I had a partner who um, is more of a introvert developer and he was all about like black and white, like, don't worry as long as it functions. But when you start changing and have a color palette around your brand, around your logo, around your website, just that color appeal actually can make a big difference to your products. I would say after your MVP, you make sure you have that back and front end, depending on what you need, but you do get a designer. You get someone to really dig deep into finding what colors force people to your website. Like they say, usually typically blue. They say blue is a big color on websites. If you look like Salesforce and all these big names, all these software, big software companies, they have a lot of blue because it's a, it's a color that people use that shows um, <clears throat> wealth, money, success, etc. So you want to make sure that you do design um, after the MVP. Um, but I would say the other thing would be just get that advice, get that feedback and get those 50 users um, spending time on the platform. So it's not necessarily how I lay out the plans or the structures of teams and stuff like that. It's more of the actions and like the feedback loop, the speed of it the quality of it between customers and new ones and what they want and why they want it, understanding behind that. I think a lot of times like we, we could get an email today, like, Hey guys, I think you should have this feature. Like it's causing me a problem, but you'd also have to say, well, okay, we can weigh that up. We get a lot of requests, but are you ICP? You know, does that make sense for all of our users? There's a lot exactly. of ways you can negate that, but, but you're talking about the quality of that feedback in it, you know, and, and how quickly it comes. Yeah, because I think people have an MVP that, oh, I have a business. You still don't have a business. You don't have a business till you have users inside your platform using it every single day and getting results from your, your product. If you just have an MVP, you just have, you have the infrastructure. You have that first level of a condo. 
but you have to still build that condo. And the way to get that is through feedback through your existing users. Okay. Yeah, well, let's wrap uh, up, man. Let's do this. We, this was a good one. I enjoyed it. It was good fun. Yeah, no, this is a great one. Ollie, um, thanks. This was a, it was actually, a, this was a blast. Um, and also I'd like to thank everybody who is listening today. Um, one thing, if you enjoyed the show, just like always, don't forget to give us a five-star review wherever in the world you're listening from and subscribe so you don't miss the next show. We keep bringing on new guests. We pre- keep trying to provide you value. So um, keep coming, keep listening, keep helping us out with those reviews, and we'll see you guys soon.